Amen. Amen. Hey, do me a favor. If you're around somebody, high five them, acknowledge them, maybe hug them a little bit. If you're not, blow them a kiss from wherever you are. Just have some kind of moment of connection with somebody. If there's anything that I think that we're yearning for in this particular season, it's that desire for fellowship. It's that desire to be around somebody. And so take that moment. Hey, I want to welcome you to Victory at home, victory at home. If you're joining with us for just maybe the first time, maybe it's one of the first few times, I want to say welcome. I want to shout out to all of our victory family. As you can tell, we are still in what we're calling phase one, where we are recording from the school, uh, but we're not able yet to meet back in person. And Darla and I cannot wait to be able to do that. And I know you want to as well. Also want to give a shout out to all of our Victory family that don't live in this area. Uh, they're, they're, they're all in different cities and states, but they're watching and they're giving faithfully every week. I just want to say thank you. We couldn't do what we're doing if it wasn't without you. And then last but not least, all of our Victory family that has joined our family since we have gone, uh, since we've experienced COVID-19 and kind of gone online, people have been able to tune in more. Maybe they were hesitant to visit or found out about it. And listen, you're already a part of the family. I can't wait to meet you in person, but I do want to say welcome. So glad that you are here. We are in a series right now called The Journey, where we are looking at the book of John, and we're going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the best that we can. And what we're getting out of it is who Jesus is. And so, so here's what John says. John says, I, I don't follow Jesus out of faith. That's what John's letting us know. He's saying, I put my faith in Jesus because of what I saw and because of what I heard. And so what the book of John literally is, is John recording uh, the things he chose. He, we, we already said this a couple weeks ago that he later on goes to say, Jesus did a lot of things that aren't featured in the book of John, but he, he, he couldn't have put everything in this book. So John picks certain things and he says, it's because of what I saw and because of what I heard that I put my faith in Jesus. And I hope that by you reading this and seeing what I saw and hearing what I hear, that you would also put your faith in Jesus. And so we've been reading through this again, just kind of taking our time. We don't have a time frame of when we'll come to a close. We just want to get to the end of this and have a better idea of who Jesus is. Can I get an Amen. I got some people with me this morning giving me a little love. Let's, let's go ahead and get your vocal cords ready. Let me hear you real quick. Go ahead and give me some, come on, give me some screams. Give me some yells. I got to warm them up. I got to warm them up online, family. It's how it works. So we're, we're in John chapter five still. If you were with us last week, you said, hey, we were in John chapter five last week. And certainly we were. But I felt like there was a little bit more that I wanted to address and approach today. So if, if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter five. Um, and so John chapter five, and we're going to jump in at verse nine, I believe it is. And so I thought we were going to do John six, but we're actually going to hold that off till next week. So, so John chapter five, verse nine is where we're going to start if you're there. And it says, at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. So let me pause there for a second in case you didn't tune in with us last week. Jesus finds this man who is laying at a pool. This pool has this superstitious belief that an angel will come down and stir it and he can get a healing. And so according to scripture, this man's been there for 38 years. And so Jesus finds this man and then heals him. And so that's kind of the idea we were on last week. We talked about that's not fair and how Jesus picked that guy. And we, we ended up coming to the conclusion that thank God Jesus is not fair because we didn't get what we deserved and different things like that. But we're picking up there. So once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now, that's going to be important. We're going to come back to that. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and the law forbids you 
to carry your mat. So what you're doing right now is both illegal and a sin. You should not be carrying your mat. But the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He said, I'm doing it because he said to do it. That's why I'm doing it. So then they asked him, who is the fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Jesus had a timeline that he was operating on because of God, and he couldn't afford to mess that timeline up, so he would do things and then slip out without getting the attention. And then it goes on to say, later, Jesus found him at the temple And Jesus said to the man, see, you are well again. The the King James Version says, I see you are made well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And then the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who, in fact, had made him well. I want to talk to you for a moment from the idea, I'm danged if I do, and I'm danged if I don't. Y'all remember that saying? Anybody remember that saying when you were growing up? Uh, Now, if you grew up in an atmosphere that I grew up in, then that statement was a little bit more colorful, right? It was a little bit more PG-13 than, than I said it. But I remember growing up, that, that was a constant thing people would say, like, man, you know, I'm dinged if I do, I'm dinged if I, dinged if I don't. You know, it was, this, it was the, the way you would respond if you were in what they call a lose-lose situation. For example, I'll give you some context. Um, maybe you would say something like, You know, if I don't invite my uncle to the wedding, my mom's going to be mad at me. But if I do invite my uncle to the wedding, he's going to mess up the wedding, right? So I'm danged if I do, and I'm danged if I don't. Or uh, you might say something like, well, you know, if, if I don't work overtime, I won't be able to afford Christmas presents. But if I do work overtime, I'm going to miss out on, you know, uh, time with my family. And so I'm danged if I do, and I'm danged if I don't. It was, again, kind of addressing or putting communication to a situation that is flat out a lose-lose situation. And I couldn't shake the fact that when you read about this man in John chapter 5, I feel like he is facing a lose-lose situation, all right? So, so let's just rewind for a second. He's at this pool in Bethesda, and, and he has been lame for 38 years. The, the atmosphere is horrific. The place is just full of depression and, and bad smell. You just don't, he doesn't want to be there. And then Jesus heals him, and obviously he would want to get out, right? And then according to these scriptures, before he can even get far away from the pool at Bethesda, he runs into religious leaders that say, hey, you are sinning, you're breaking the law, and actually because of the law, they could have stoned him for carrying his mat. So they could have killed him on the spot. So literally, he either stays at the pool, that is a place of depression, that's a place of, of again, a lack, that he's, he's lame, he's not healed, or he can get up and then experience religion <laughs> and then get stoned and killed. So basically, it's a lose-lose situation, right? This guy is danged if he does, and he's danged if he doesn't. I thought it was interesting that in the same sentence, this man both gets healed and heckled. Isn't that interesting that, that in the same moment, this man, while, while, while rejoicing about his healing, he can come into heckling. There's just something about that that I think connects to religion, that religion, a lot of times before you even experience your healing, you're already experiencing heckling. And I think honestly with you, if I was to tell you the truth, what I think bothered me the most about John chapter 5 is that there is no room for rejoicing. There's no room for it. There's no room for 
rejoicing. Again, look at John chapter five, verse nine, and watch what happens, okay? So it says, at once, the man picks up his mat and walks. At once, it happens, okay? And then it goes on to let you know, hey, this happened on the Sabbath, this was important. This is letting you know what day of the week it happened. This is gonna come into context in a moment. They say, hey, this happened on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders say to him, so, so this man gets healed. And watch this. The, uh, uh, historians say that the pool at Bethesda was less than 15 minutes away from the church, from the temple. So this guy didn't even go 15 minutes before he was already experiencing uh, condemnation for his sins. So, so this guy gets healed and doesn't even walk 15 minutes before he's being heckled. There's literally no room for rejoicing. There's no moment where we can say, hey, I understand that what you're doing is not the best. However, praise God that you can walk, right? Like, shouldn't there be a moment where, hey, I understand that you shouldn't be carrying your mat, the law says. To do. But before we talk about that, can we just dance for a second for the fact that you have been healed after being lame for 38 years. And what kills me, watch, is that the religious leader's obsession with the rules did not allow them the empathy to rejoice. I'm gonna say that again. The religious leader's obsession with the rules did not allow them the empathy to rejoice. Have you ever been in a situation where the obsession with the rules would not allow you the opportunity to rejoice? Better question, have you ever been somebody who was so obsessed with the rules that you didn't show people empathy enough to rejoice? Let me give you context of what's happening with the Sabbath. So when Moses comes down off the mountain, he has what they call the written Torah or the written law, or as we know it, the Old Testament or the uh, Ten Commandments. So he comes down with these, these written laws, okay? And there was a particular law in that that says that you should honor the Lord by keeping the Sabbath holy. Keep the Sabbath holy. That context was that if you're going to work six days a week, you should have one day that you refer to as the Sabbath, and that is your rest day. In modern day culture today, 2020, we refer to the Sabbath a lot of times as Sunday, as the day that we do church. It's the Sabbath day. It's the day of rest. There was a time uh, where, where, where restaurants and businesses and all that would not open up on Sunday because it was the Sabbath. Chick-fil-A still honors that. That's why they're the best fast food location in the world. Um, favor ain't fair, as we said last week. But um, so there was the Sabbath. So, so there was the written law. Now watch this. The, the belief system, what was being taught to, to Jewish people in that day, was that not only did Moses come down with the written Torah, but he also came down with the oral Torah. He came down with the written law, but he also came down with, with words and other law that he just didn't have time to write down, right? And so he's got all of this extra commentary that goes along with the written Torah, and that was being passed down from generation to generation to generation. So by the time that we arrive at the conversation and the time frame that involves the man at the pool of Bethesda, watch this, they had added 39 categories to that one statement of keep the Sabbath holy. 39 categories of what work was. Because again, the concept was that you're gonna work and you need a day of rest. God modeled that. God did not do it because he needed to rest. God did it to model it for us because he knew we would need rest. So the idea of, hey, if you're gonna work so much, take a day to rest, right? That's okay, cool. But, but again, the Jewish teachings had added 39 categories. Here were some of the categories. 
One category dealt with fire, and it said that you could not start a fire or extinguish a fire. So you couldn't cook anything. You could, you could not start a fire. And, and if a fire happened, you couldn't put it out. So you couldn't light a candle. You couldn't extinguish a fire. I was actually reading about a story in 1992 where a Jewish Orthodox family, there was some type of thing that happened in their house and a fire started and it was on the day they considered the Sabbath and they refused to put the fire out because they couldn't extinguish a fire and their house burned down. Isn't that interesting? There's a category that has to deal with baking. You couldn't bake any food or cook any food. You couldn't sift flour. Isn't that interesting? You couldn't separate ingredients. You, you couldn't do any of this because they, they, they called it work. Watch this. You couldn't wear, if you had a wooden leg, you couldn't wear your wooden leg. If you had false teeth at the time, you couldn't wear your false teeth because the idea was that if one of those things fell out or fell off, you having to pick it up and put it back in or back on was considered work. So you just shouldn't even do it. As, as it developed, it got to the point where you couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath. Because if you looked in the mirror and saw that you looked ratchet, then you might want to put makeup on or you might want to you know, do your hair or brush your teeth or whatever it is, and that was going to be considered work. Isn't that wild? And, so, so, and then one of the categories is that you couldn't carry anything. So if you had a mat or you had anything for that matter, you could not carry it on the Sabbath. So when they see this guy carrying his mat, now this is his belonging, he has to carry it or he's going to leave it and lose it. So he's carrying it because now all of a sudden he can walk and he can move from this location to that location. So he's carrying it. But again, the oral law, the teaching they had went all the way down into category of work carrying. Oh, you, do, 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 you know, rule 10, A to the third power, B, you cannot carry your mat, right? So that, because of that, he was in sin and breaking the law. And according to the law, they could kill him in the spot, on the spot for that. Watch this. The law did not forbid that man to carry his mat. Their version of the law did. Did you see that? The law didn't forbid him, didn't forbid him from carrying his mat. Their version of the law is what said he couldn't carry the mat. I, I was in a conversation recently with an individual who was dealing with some tension. And, and as I give this description, I think you're probably gonna be able to put yourself in this story. This individual loves Jesus and wants to follow Jesus and wants to be a Christian, right? On, on one, but, but there is this desire in this person that wants to do something that is sinful, okay? So, so watch this. One part of this person really wants to live for God, really wants to be a Christian, really wants to pursue holiness, really wants to feel the blessing and the favor of God. But there's another side of this person that something inside of them feels this drawing, this desire, this temptation, this yearning, this urge to do something that is sinful. So there's tension, right? Paul actually talked about this in Romans. He said that there's something in me and it's pulling because I don't do what I want to do but I do do what I don't want to do. What he's saying is there's something in me that wants to follow God. There's something in me that wants to be holy. There's something in me that wants to be, you know, just, just an awesome Christian man or woman of God. But there's also something in me that I, I don't know what to do with. It's this urge. It's this yearning. It's this desire to do something that is not of God. And so I'm, I'm just confused because of this tension. 
And this person went on to say this to me. Because of it, I felt so much shame. Which is a powerful statement. The, 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 the pulling between me wanting to live for God and me having this urge to do something that's not godly. Be honest with you, because I'm so confused by it, because I can't quite explain it, I just feel this shame. And then the person said, and the shame had me where I almost left the church. Help me with this. This is what happens when we become more obsessed with the rules that we can't have enough empathy to rejoice with an individual, right? Where they could be so torn between the, why? They love Jesus, but there's such this, there's this tension and, and this weird like arm wrestling scenario where they don't know there's something in them that wants to do this sinful thing so much, watch this, that they become ashamed of themselves that it moves them into a place of shame to where they would actually want to leave the only place they should be going. We would, we would lose our mind if somebody walked into the hospital this morning and said, I, had a bro I have a broken leg, but I'm so ashamed of what I did to break my leg that I'm going to leave the hospital. You would say, why? This is where you need to be, right? And Jesus came to say, y'all have messed it all up. And you flipped it on his head and people are running away from the very thing in the very place that they need. If we aren't careful, religion will create a mindset in the American church, watch this, that says, if I do not follow God, I will go to hell. And if I do follow God, I will be given a list of standards that I cannot live up to. So therefore, I am danged if I do, and I'm danged if I don't. Right? How many people are watching right now where that's been your summary of church, that's been your summary of Christianity, that's been your summary of religion for years? I, I, I want to follow God. Why? Well, number one, I don't want to go to hell. Number two, I keep hearing that Jesus is all about life and fulfillment and all these things, so I want that. But when I choose to do it, I am hit in the face with all of these rules and stipulations and this law that no matter how hard I try, I can not seem to live up to it. So when I sit down and summarize the church, when I sit down and summarize religion, when I sit down and summarize Christianity, I say it doesn't matter if I do, it doesn't matter if I don't, it doesn't matter I'm messed up either way. We talked a couple weeks ago how then, therefore, because of that, most people go away from God because they say, well, at least I can do is enjoy this season while I'm here on earth. If I'm, not, if I'm gonna get hell anyway, I'm at least gonna enjoy while I'm here. Wow. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. You've got it all backwards. And I've arrived to not just die for your sins, but I've arrived to fix the misunderstanding. Think about this. This man has been lame for 38 years. This place that he was was 15 minutes from the church, walking distance which means he could see the church every day. He could hear their worship music. I'm coming out of that grave. You know, he's watching all the people dancing and jumping, and he's like laying there going, that's great. It's almost proven 
through, through theologians that, that church people and pastors and all that, religious leaders and priests, would have had to walk past them to get to church. How backwards is that? So they're coming through, bebopping. And for 38 years, he's just laying there watching it, right? Thinking, oh man, if I could just go to church. Ooh, are they playing that elevation? That's my favorite song. Is that Jamal singing? Ooh, I love when he sings. If I could just go to church. And then Jesus comes and he heals him. And the first thing he does is starts heading to church. For 38 years, he has not stepped foot in a church. And he's just a few minutes from walking through the doors. He's wondering, what do the pews look like? Are they going to sing a hymn today? Do they have coffee? Who's going to watch my kids? Oh, I don't have any kids. And he can't wait to get to church. And as he walks in the door, he's met with religion. And religion starts to judge him. And starts to tell him he's a sinner. And that he's breaking the law. Before he can even fully experience his healing, he's already being heckled. You ever been there? <laughs> you ever mustered up all the courage you, you literally could muster just, just to go visit the church that your friend or your neighbor has been inviting you to for, for years? And, you know, you, you do your best to put together some kind of outfit because you still have this, you know, belief that's been, that's been communicated through so many uh, years of religion and tradition that you have to dress up a certain way to be able to enter a church building. And so you do the best you can putting together some type of outfit and you find some way and somebody to watch your kids just so you can go to church because your friend had been telling you about Jesus and how awesome Jesus is and you finally get to the church. And before you can even walk in the door, the greeter opens the door and goes, you're not wearing that in here, are you? Right? Because when the rules, when we become so obsessed with the rules, we don't have an empathy to rejoice. And watch this. The problem with religion is it loves law more than it loves people. It loves the law more than it loves people people. And watch this. And yet John sets down and he's going to write, he's going to define God, Bree, in one word. I got to define him in one word. This is going to be so powerful. God is blank. God is blank. God is blank. I got I to gotta get him in one word so that when you read about him, when you finally muster up the courage to enter in the church building, and whether you are met with love or whether you are met with law, regardless of the situation, John knows I gotta sum God up in one word for you. And he sits down and he says, God is love. He did not write God is law. He wrote love. Because God this will mess some of you up. God loves you more than he loves his law. That don't sound biblical, Troy. Why would God send Jesus, his only begotten son, to die on a cross for your sins? 
because he is a just God and he cannot go back on his law, but he loves you more than he loves his law. And so he will send Jesus to fulfill that law so that you don't have to. Don't start me right now. I will, I'll throw the rest of the message off and just go with this. It's not even in the notes, folks. He loves me more than he loves his law. Now, you know what, Troy? You sound like one of those uh, seeker-sensitive preachers. You sound like one of those guys that we're not going to talk about sin. We're just going to talk about being good for Jesus, and yet we can keep going on being a sinner. and doing. It's not what I'm saying. Matter of fact, if you'd have been paying attention a couple weeks ago, you would know that I literally went after our sinful life and said, we need to get to a place where we don't fear it anymore, where we'll just talk about it and God can do something about it. But I'll keep talking about it. Because I'm going to show you, and it's literally right in front of our eyes, where the mishap and the misunderstanding is rooted in. Okay, here we go. John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. The man who told, I'm following what he said to do. That guy, he told me to pick up my mat and walk, so I picked up my mat and walked. I'm just doing what he said to do, right? So they asked him, well, then who is this fellow? I don't know who talks like that. Who, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk then? If you're doing what he said to do, then who was it that told you to do it? And this is so incredible. Watch this. The man who was healed had what? No idea. I don't know who it was. I don't know. I I'm just following what he said to do. Well, who was it? I don't know. (laughs) Right? I'm I'm just giving up cussing because they said to give up cussing. Well, who said it? I don't know. I'm being, I've decided not to live with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. I've decided to get married because that's what they said to do. Who's they? I don't know. The church. That dude that stands up with the microphone, Pastor Tony. (laughs) The problem here is they are expecting this man to follow the rules before he has ever defined the relationship. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. You want him to follow the rules without the relationship? How many of us are trying to follow the rules, and we have not fully developed the relationship. You are doing something because he said to do it. Who told you to do it? I don't know. You know, I'm learning that rules are different when they are founded on relationship. For example, there are things that my wife will do to me that if I didn't know her would offend me, right? Like only my wife, I could be driving down the road and she will start talking about the things that are imperfect about me. Now that sounds terrible. Let me back up for a second. But she'd be like, you got something on your face. And then she'll just reach over and start picking at it, right? Like I'm driving, trying not to get us killed, And then all of a sudden, she's like reaching and trying to pop stuff and pull stuff and pick stuff. And I'm like, get off me. But but the reason why it's not abnormal is because of what? 
The relationship. Matter of fact, let's test this out, okay? Today, after service, I want you to go to the closest restaurant or grocery store or retail store that you can. I want you to walk up to the first person you see, and I want you to start picking at their face. And when they start to, you know, rear back to hit you, just go, oh, you had something on your face. There's a totally different reaction, right? Why? Because of relationship. I will walk out of a room, and Darla will go, you're not wearing that, are you? I'm like, well, no, I wasn't, actually. I was just putting it on to see if it still fit. You know, like, like there's just things you can say to somebody because of a relationship. Now watch this. The more the relationship develops, the more you actually go to them to ask them, hey, is there anything on my face? Hey, what do you think about this outfit? Right? Are, are y'all following with me on this? Relationship has this way to transition Rules and regulations and laws. There's something about a relationship that what at first, if I don't know you, is offensive and it's weird and it's strange and it's, uh, it offends me and, and it's, it's, out of, it's just weird. Once you have a relationship with me, I will actually go to you and ask you to help me with it to begin with. So I say all that to say. All of the direction that scripture gives us in how to live a life like Christ. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's just rules, right? It's just rules. And we see it as something we'd never be able to accomplish. But the more that you have a relationship with Jesus, the more you start to understand his heart behind it and you will actually find yourself at some point going to the scripture, going to him, asking, what is it about me that needs to change? The more you get to know Jesus, you'll understand that his concern is not rules, it's response. It's not rules, it's response. Let me show you what I mean. I read something in John chapter five, verses, I think it's verse 14. You can skip past that part. Miss Avon, I'll come back to it. But I kept reading this verse over and these verses over and over and over throughout the week because I'll be honest with you, I got a little confused because it felt like Jesus was saying what the religious leaders had just said, okay? It says that Jesus found this man in the temple, okay? So John chapter five, I believe it's verse 14. Go ahead and go to the next scripture. Um, I believe he finds him in verse 14. It says, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, watch this, see you are well again. Watch this. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. That was weird for me because I thought for a second now, Jesus kind of sounds like them, right? You're, you're sinning and because you're sinning now, we're gonna kill you because you're sinning and we're preaching, that's terrible, that's religious, and now here's Jesus just a couple verses later saying, hey, you need to stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. He's been lame for 38 years. What worse could happen to him, right? What worse could happen to him? And so as I'm looking, I'm like, man, this is weird. It almost seems like Jesus is acting just like them. And then I started having this revelation that, yeah, but when you have a relationship with Jesus, he can say the same thing, but it can be relayed differently. Yeah. See, watch what was going on in this moment. The belief system back then worked like this. If you got healed, then you had to go to the synagogue to see a priest to be able to have them declare that you are in fact healed. This happened all the time with, with people who had leprosy. It was like, hey, go to the priest, let him check you, 
And let him just make sure you're healed. Because we've all had moments like this where somebody does something. Like, hey, can I pray for your arm? Like, yeah, my arm's hurting. And they pray for it. And you get down and you're like, oh, man, I'm healed. Hallelujah. And then like the next morning you wake up and you go, oh, I'm not healed, right? It's still hurt. Like, and that was kind of a, a regular context. So they were like, hey, go to the priest. Let the priest check you out. And let the priest say you are, in fact, healed. Now, let me give you a different thought. It was clearly known at that time that, and we talked about this, I think it was last week, that if you were blind or lame or paralyzed, that they were linking it back to the fact that you're a sinner. So, watch this. If your, your situation, if your problem is related to your sin, then if you get healed, you must be forgiven of what? Your sins. So now what basically is happening is this guy is going to church to have the religious leaders confirm that he is healed and forgiven of his sins. That's why he's there. And he's in line waiting, waiting to be seen. I had this thought, I don't wanna preach on it very long, I had this thought that he's, he's carrying his mat and he's like, I don't know if I'm healed or not. So I may still need this. So I don't know if I can get rid of it or not. So I'm just gonna keep carrying it. But am I sinning? I don't know if I'm sinning or not. He's in the church going, I don't know if I'm sinning or if I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be. You ever had somebody come into church, sit down and be like, I don't know if I'm sinning. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. And this man's sitting there waiting for the religious leaders to tell him, you're healed, your sins have been forgiven. And he's sitting there and he's waiting patiently and Jesus walks up. Jesus says, hey, how you doing, bro? He says, I see that you have been made well. That's what the King James Version said. I see you have been made well. Here's what Jesus was saying. I see you're still healed. I don't know why you're standing in this line. Everything they're going to tell you, I've already done. Is it possible that we keep coming to church to have somebody affirm in us that our sins have been forgiven when Jesus is saying, hey, I did that a long time ago. I did that a long time ago. Quit coming to church to have evidence that your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, I did that. I did that. And here's what I think happened when Jesus started to address and say, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. I think he's talking about eternal life because watch this. Jesus was not concerned with the outside. He's concerned with the inside, right? So he's saying, look, quit worrying about this mat thing. Let's talk about your heart. Quit worrying about whether or not you're breaking the law and let's talk about what you're going to do now that I have healed your bones. Jesus shows up to say this, watch. The question is not have you been healed or have your sins been forgiven? The question is what are you going to do now? Now that you've been healed, now that your sins have been forgiven, what is your response? That's what Jesus wants to know. I was reading this book, and this book starts talking about, it, it, it referred to it as the critical journey, is what it called it. And, it, and then it had like in sub, subheading, the, the journey of faith. And it had these different steps, right? Step one was like revelation. I'm gonna put this in the study guide, and you're gonna be able to really, I'm gonna go a little bit deeper on this. But, but step one was like this revelation of God's love. Right? So it's kind of what we're doing right now, this revelation of who Jesus is and the new normal. That was step one. And, and so for you, it's that moment that you realized, I, I, you know, Jesus died for my sins. I want to have a relationship with God. It was that moment. Step two 
was discipleship. And they put in parentheses learning, which meant starting to go to church, starting to read your Bible, starting to pray, starting to learning about the God that you just realized loves you. Step three talked about active living, and it was using your gifts to now serve that God, which is really funny because if you think about our church, uh, grow, guide, give, right? So grow, knowing God, guide, learning about God, give, giving out of your talents for God. So that was kind of this, the first three steps, which I thought were really interesting. But then step four, it kind of takes a turn and it talks about a, a reflection inward, a moment where you evaluate you. And then step five was an outward love where now you go and be Christ to other people, okay? Now here's what was so interesting about that. I don't think any of us would disagree with that chart. But what was interesting about that is the author put something she called the wall in between four and five. She said most people don't struggle with the realization that Jesus died for our sins and that God is great. She said most people, especially now in this day and age when church has become so fun and so cool, most people don't, don't struggle learning about God. They, there's something in us that wants to learn about God. So most people don't really struggle with serving God because obviously it's an opportunity for us to show our gifts and our talents and our purposes and it's fun and so on. She said where people tend to kind of hit a wall is in step four. It's the moment where we have to stop and look at ourselves. It's the moment where we have to say, maybe, maybe I'm not as perfect as I think I am. And maybe there are things that need to change in me. And there's this self-reflection, watch this, where we start to let Jesus work on us. And if we succeed in that, and we let Jesus impact us, and we let Jesus change us, then we move into step five, which is now we can outwardly love people. Can I ask you a question? What, if you just got on Facebook today, if you just, what is the one thing that we are not seeing anywhere? Loving other people. Am I right? That seems to have just disappeared in this current culture. Because you cannot accurately love other people until you have self-reflected. You, you will never be able to love people the way Jesus loves people until you sit down with Jesus and say, hey, what can you change in me? What can you change in me? And here's what I started to realize. It's kind of the same thing that the religious leaders were saying. It's just connected to relationship now, right? Christianity is not danged if you do, danged if you don't. But you also don't get to follow Jesus without ever having self-reflection and changing the things about yourself. You just have to realize that now I'm doing it with Jesus. And better yet, watch this, it's not you working, it's Jesus working. Look what John chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 says. It says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. They are persecuting Jesus because he was working. When he told that man to carry his mat, he was working. Watch what Jesus says. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus is working. Jesus working on us is not about rules. It's about our response. 
Jesus says, I died for your sins. I've healed your body. I've given you a pathway to heaven for eternity. How are you going to respond to that? And when we have the right relationship with Jesus, we no longer get offended when the Bible tries to correct. Instead, we run to the Bible asking Jesus to show us where we can be better. That's breaking through the wall. Most Christians are failing right now at breaking through the wall. Because the moment, I, 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 can I testify that God's great? Hallelujah! Can I attend church and worship? Well, yeah, when you got worship leaders like this and you got a facility in production, yeah, you better be able to enjoy it. What if it was just me on my couch? Nobody watched then, right? Like, it's just, it's different. Of course you can enjoy it. Can you serve? Of course you can serve. Your talents and gifts, can you look inward? Whoa, 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 whoa. Stay in your lane, Jesus. That's the moment we have to break through. The moment we can say, hey, God, me, work on me, work on, change everything about me. Quit asking everybody else to change who they are and start asking God to help you change who you are. Change me. I'll leave you with this story and we'll pray. I'm glad that my children aren't here today because I can tell this story. So, my oldest daughter, Veda, 10 years old, um, this happened just last night, actually. I think sometimes God does things because he knows what you're about to preach, and he's like, I'm going to give you the most applicable example of that because I'm going I'm to mess you up. So she had done something that I thought should get her in trouble, and she had a couple friends coming over to spend the night. And so I went up to her room to talk to her, and I said, hey, because of what you did, why would I let your friends spend the night? And she couldn't answer me, right? So she just said, I don't know. I said, well, they can come over and, and watch a movie, I think. I said, but they're not spending a night. And I mean, it broke her. She started to cry. And I walked out of the room. And I, honestly, just the Holy Spirit hit me. And I was like, man, oh, the Holy Spirit hit me. And the kids came walking in the front door. It's <laughs> like, well, what do you do now? I'd be like, hey, little kids, get out. You know? And so I said, you know what? I got something. So I go back in. She's in the corner of her room. She's crying. I said, come here. I said, I'm gonna let your friends spend the night. I said, and here's why. I said, not because you did anything good. I said, but because I believe in you and I believe you want to do good and I believe that you're gonna do better next time. She's looking at me, you know, and she's like, okay. And the whole time I'm saying it, I'm thinking like, what are you saying, Troy? And I turned around and walked out of the room. I couldn't get three steps and these little arms wrapped around my stomach. And I turned around, and I grabbed her head, and I kissed her on her head, and she's crying. She's like, thank you, Daddy. And she looked up, and she said, I love you. I would have bought her everything she could possibly want at that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> and this morning, I'm praying. And I'm thinking about this tension that we have of wanting to be good children of God, but having this thing in us that keeps desiring sinful things that are not of God, and we keep messing up. And religion tells us we're terrible, 
And religion tells us all these things. And, and we have this perspective of our daddy coming in and going, you know what? Your friends don't get to come over tonight. You messed up. And, da -da -da -da. and that's the picture we've been given of God. And Jesus said, you've got it all wrong. Jesus went on to say, everything I say comes from the Father. Everything I do, watch me and you will have seen God. So when Jesus does something, it's a literal prophetic picture of God. And Jesus walks in and goes, hey, you know what? I'm gonna let your friends spend a night because I believe in you, because I love you, because I think you want to be better. And I think that next time, you're gonna try, you're gonna be that's the kind of father God is. And I think that's what puts in us the desire to run and to sit at his feet and to feel his heartbeat. And say, God, I love you. Thank you. And at that moment, the relationship grows and it becomes less and less about rules more and more about revelation. And it becomes eventually not that you don't have difficulty, but you no longer feel the condemnation of the difficulty. But you understand that your dad loves you. And you just want to make him proud. And I think the revelation ultimately becomes this. Religion says you have to work. Jesus said he's the one working. He's the one working. Father, we thank you for your word for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the illustration that you gave me with Veda. I'll never forget it. And my prayer is that you would make that real for every person that's watching, that's listening today. If there's anything I want this series to do, it's to redefine who you are. And if there's somebody that's watching, that's listening, who has felt like Christianity is a situation that is a lose-lose, if they felt like if they do, they're danged, if they don't, they're danged, that more than ever today, Father, you would help them to realize that it was never about rules, that you love them more than you love their law or your law. And that's why you sent Jesus for the second, the third, and the fourth, and the fifth chance. And to give us the opportunity to grow that relationship with you. Where no longer are we offended or angry or, or turned off by the correction that your scripture gives, but we run to it because we want to be more like you, Jesus. Father, help us, help us learn how to self-reflect. 
Help us learn to be able to go to you and say, God, what is it about me that you need to change? And then be excited about the change. And then be able to rejoice as you're working on us. Father, we worship you this morning. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.